This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Yeah, good afternoon, Alberta. Welcome aboard. Rob Breckenridge with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. Plenty to discuss. Obviously, the latest from the campaign trail, which is pretty quiet today ahead of the debates tonight and tomorrow. We'll get to that uh, later in this hour. Author and journalist Lyndon McIntyre will talk about his new book. Uh, time for your phone calls as well in Edmonton, 780-496-0063 in Calgary, 403-974-8255. Certainly, the issue of climate change has come up in this election and uh, what uh, the next government would do to address the problem. And look, I mean, yeah, it's been a year of extreme heat and wildfires and hurricanes and and floods and all these things we're told uh, that we could see more of in the future as a result of climate change, or maybe even it's why we're seeing it now. So it, it feels like the tone of the conversation has been ramped up, that this is a real pressing threat and there is an urgency in addressing it. What is the state of the science, though? And what we need to do at this point uh, to really respond in a meaningful and reasonable way to what is happening. Well, there's a really fascinating and provocative new book that that speaks directly to that. Now, the author is a former undersecretary of science in the U.S. Department of Energy under President Barack Obama. He's currently a professor at New York University, appointments in the Stern School of Business, Tandon School of Engineering, and the Department of Physics. Dr. Stephen Koonin is author of the book Unsettled. What climate science tells us, what it doesn't, and why it matters. Professor Kuhn, great to have you with us here this afternoon. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Rob. Wonderful to be chatting with you. Well, let's talk about this book, which is getting a lot of reaction in, in a lot of different respects, as, as I'm sure you're well aware. But why did you feel that, that this was necessary you know, to, to tackle this topic right now? Well, as over the last seven years, as I started to look more deeply at the official science in the UN and US government reports and in the research literature, I started to realize that there was a real disconnect between what the politicians and the media were saying and what's actually written in those reports. And so I wanted to write this both to tell people about climate science, but also to expose some of the misrepresentations and hopefully let us all make better decisions. What should those decisions look like? And we'll talk about what you see as some of the problems in the science. But in terms of the the extent to which climate change is a pressing concern, the extent to which we need to respond to it, I mean, where where do you come down on those big questions? Well, certainly the, the most obvious required response is that we make ourselves more resilient than we've been. I mean, the recent events in the Northeast over the last week demonstrate how ill-prepared we are and how poor our infrastructure is to respond to extreme weather. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of obvious, and it's something everybody should be doing. A little more difficult is to say, let's just reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and that's going to solve the problem. There are many problems in trying to 
pursue that strategy, not least of which is most of the emissions are going to be coming from the developing world rather than the developed world such as North America. Mm-hmm. In terms of temperature or the question of whether things are warmer, and, and certainly we've had some warm years and some of the warmest years on record are, are more recent years. Is that indicative then of, of the kind of warning, uh, warming rather that, that the models were predicting or where, where are we at on that side of it? Yeah, so, so we have warmed globally and it's a very crude measure of the climate, but nevertheless, it's one that's often discussed. Globally, the average temperatures have gone up about 1 or 1.1 degrees since 1900. The most recent UN report, which came out a few weeks ago, says under a reasonable projection of future emissions and the center of the many models that are predicted, we'll see another 1.5 degrees of warming uh, through the year 2100. Mm-hmm. And how worrying is that? Well, um, you know, there are two ways to look at that, or actually several ways, of course. Climate science and projections are a very nuanced subject. Uh, One way to look at it is the world has warmed a degree over the last century. Nevertheless, we have seen the greatest advancement of human well-being that has ever taken place. People have gotten healthier, wealthier, better informed, more mobile, etc., Another way to look at it is to look at the official reports themselves and ask what do they project for the economic impact of a warming of, let's say, even four degrees beyond where we are today. And the answer is that for the global economy and for the U.S. economy, and I assume similarly for the Canadian economy, it's a few percent impact 70 or 80 years from now. In other words, we would be behind in our growth by about a year or two, 80 years from now. And on all measures, that's a pretty small impact. Well, and how important is it then to, to factor in the, the economic impact as, as we look at what climate change might cost in terms of its impact versus the cost of trying to, to stop or mitigate that? Are, are we overlooking then those economic calculations? Yes, we are, in fact. And if you look at the mainstream economics literature, as typified by things written by William Nordhaus, who won the Nobel Prize in economics a few years ago, for precisely the following insight. If you try to reduce emissions too rapidly, you incur costs by disrupting the economy. And believe me, decarbonization done too rapidly will be severely disruptive. On the other hand, if you don't do it rapidly enough, you incur more risk of climate damage. And so there's an optimum. Mm-hmm. And what I can tell you is that the optimal pace is a lot slower than what's being discussed by the politicians or in the Paris discussions. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. There was a profile of you that referred to you as the, the unalarmist. And it feels like we're often caught between you know, different poles of this debate, the, the alarmists and, and the deniers. I, I don't know if that really helps bring some balance to, to the conversation. Is that your sense? Yeah, I, no, it does not. And, and let me just say for the record, I don't deny anything. I just read the reports yeah. and tell people about them in ways they've not heard before. You know, the most recent report was uh, greeted with the headline, Code Red for Humanity. Right. Well, in fact, it doesn't say that anywhere in the report. It says that the temperature will rise by the amounts I've already discussed. Uh, yet it is the politicians, 
and the media who exaggerate inordinately. And I think that's very unhealthy when that gets done. What we've seen this year, and there, there's probably all kinds of factors behind some of the, the heat uh, waves, some of the heat records, some of the drought that we've we've seen. And, and obviously, if, if that becomes a bigger problem, that, that comes with a cost, too. But to what extent can we attribute some or, or all of that to, to climate change that is already happening as opposed to, you know, a glimpse of what could possibly be in our future? Yeah, it's very difficult to attribute specific weather events to causes, whether human or natural. One thing you can say is that climate, by definition, plays out over 30 years. And so what happens this year or last year or five years ago is hardly relevant to the climate. You've got to take the longer perspective, which, of course, starts to verge on what our memories are like. Mm -hmm. And when you take that longer perspective, you see that there is a lot of variation in the climate, even before human influences became significant. If you look at ancient Egyptian records, if you look at the temperature in England, which we have over 400 years, all of these show a fair amount of variation year to year, as well as long-term trends. Now, as, as I mentioned in the introduction, and I think it's part of the reason why so many people are taking notice of your book, is that you were a top science advisor under President Obama, who obviously you know, took the issue of climate change very seriously. Now with, with uh, President Biden, former vice president, he's, he's continued that approach. I mean, have, have, first of all, have, how much of your views changed on this from, say, you know, 10 years ago? Yeah, so I, I started, uh, for reasons I recount in the book, I started in about 2014, to look much more deeply at the science that I had done previously. Mm -hmm. And I I have come to, I believe, understand the science quite well uh, and also realize that the public and the politicians are not getting a true picture of what the science actually says. What did it tell you about the decision-making that occurs within government or the the advice that that presidents and and top officials are getting? What about that, that side of it? Political decision-makers and even decision-makers in in the private sector have to weigh many factors. Uh, The science, certainties and uncertainties are only one factor in those decisions. My job as a scientist, and I believe many other science advisors, see it as a job to just represent what we know, what we don't know, what are the likely consequences of one action or another. But ultimately, what one decides to do, what these people decide to do, it's got to do with values, priorities, intergenerational equity, uh, development versus uh, uh, environment. One could go on and on. And those are the conversations that they should be promoting and having uh, rather than bashing people and saying the science is settled. Well, there, there, I, I think the reaction to your book is a good example of the state of the debate because, you know, there are those who are saying, you know, what a breath of fresh air in this debate. Uh, thank goodness for, for Dr. Stephen Coonan. And, and there are those who uh, have really pushed back hard. I mean, Scientific American, as an example, say you've got things badly wrong. So it, it's kind of a polarized reaction, in a sense, to a, a call for a calmer debate. Yeah, it, it is. And it's very disappointing to me to be um, bashed in the way that I have been by some folks, simply by repeating what's in the reports. Everything in the book is referenced to the underlying literature or to the official reports. 
And, uh, you know, what a sorry state we have when you can be pilloried for just telling people uh, what the truth is. Does it leave you pessimistic, then, that, that anything's going to change in that sense? I think it might in the following sense, at least with respect, maybe not the scientific debate, but the um, debate about what we do. I think if you look at what's being proposed in the U.S. by the Biden administration, it is too much too fast Mm -hmm. uh, to zero out power sector emissions by 2035, to take the whole country net neutral by 2050, ban internal combustion engine sales by 2035, and so on. People, uh, when that starts to impact ordinary consumers in terms of the reliability of the grid, the cost of electricity, consumer choice, dependence upon imported oil, uh, people are going to say, please tell us again why we're doing all of this, particularly since the U.S. is only 13 percent of global emissions. And I think at that point, uh, we'll start to see a greater realism injected into this discussion yeah well and you've talked about the mitigation side which which gets overlooked but in in terms of policy to address emissions where do you come down do you support a a price on carbon do you do you favor a different kind of approach where are you at um i think a gradually increasing price on carbon is probably the best way to be reducing emissions has got to be universal mm-hmm. across the economy. And of course, again, if the U.S. or the U.S. and Canada were to do this and nobody else or the big developing countries were to do it, uh, it would hardly make a difference. Um, but I think we need more time to develop, demonstrate and mature the technologies uh, that are going to let us reduce emissions. Well, let people know as well, there's uh, an event you're going to be a part of later this month uh, with the National Post for Canadian audience, uh, more at unsettled.nationalpost.com. The book is called Unsettled, What Climate Science Tells Us, What It Doesn't, and Why It Matters. Dr. Stephen Kuhn, and thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. I'm very much looking forward to speaking at that event. All the best. Uh, there you go. That is uh, Stephen Kuhn, and, uh, former Undersecretary of Science at the U.S. Department of Energy under President Barack Obama. He's currently at New York University uh, with appointments in the Stern School of Business, the Tandon School of Engineering, and the Department of Physics. His book, Unsettled, What Climate Science Tells Us, What It Does It, and Why It Matters. So, yes, a, a provocative entry into the debate around climate change, uh, that it's uh, a pressing issue, but that we're seeing maybe a distortion or an overreaction to it. So, like I say, uh, it's it's a book that's been welcomed uh, with open arms in, in some quarters and uh, less so in others. I mentioned that uh, response at Scientific American, a new book manages to get climate science badly wrong. So, yeah, I guess in that sense, not the debate is is very much open. Anyway, uh, we'll take a time out here. We'll have some time for your calls, as mentioned. Uh, a lot more still to get to uh, in this hour. Rob Breckenridge with you. We're back after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.